0: welcome back to real seekers i'm your host dale the real seeker and today i'm really really excited we're continuing on with my shroud solo show panel review sessions so this is going to be part two and um i'm joined by the 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 regular fellows we we have um let's start with bob rucker he's right there to my left so hey bob welcome back and uh we have hugh ferry the shroud skeptic (laughs) hey hugh and we have a couple new, new people joining us for the panel reviews, but uh, Joe, Joe Marino, you've been on the show before, so welcome back. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And somebody who's never been on the show before, uh, Mark Guskin. Hey, Mark. Hi,
1: nice to be here.
0: Awesome. And did I pronounce the last name properly or did I mess that up? Or
1: um, I'm just used to having it pronounced in so many different ways. It's, <laughs> it's a Polish surname, okay? It should be Guskin, but I'm used to it being Guskin or whatever. I, I just hear something and think that must be me. Gotcha.
0: No, no <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. So, believe it or not, okay. my, okay. my, last, my last name's Glover, but people always pronounce it Glover, so I, I can relate a bit. but um, all right, cool. so so yeah, so basically uh, in part one, we kind of covered um, the my notion about the irrelevancy of the dating. Uh, as well, we had a discussion on the carbon 1988 carbon 14 dating. And then we looked at the Hungarian Prey Codex. In today's episode, I'm focusing on three new uh, topics that I covered in my solo shows. Uh, so firstly, the um, 1389 memo by Darcy Memorandum, as well as the medieval documents surrounding that. Then we're gonna be getting into um, the art history and numismatic coins argument that I covered in my Shroud solo show part two. And finally, um, obviously, Mark's here. So we're going to be covering the Sedarium of Oviedo. Um, but just before we get into that, the topics, uh, obviously, Mark's new to the show. So I want to first turn it to you. And you want to kind of just introduce the audience as to who you are, uh, how you got involved in Shroud Studies, and if you don't mind, a bit about your faith journey as well.
1: Yeah, I, um, the first time I even heard about the Shroud was I was still at high school and one day they took us to a cinema to see David Rolfe's first documentary. It must have been 1978, OK, uh, The Silent Witness. And I just thought, wow, that's interesting topic. Um, initially, nothing to do with belief or anything like that. It's just, look, you know, there's so much in there. And then I, I mean, my studies and my livelihood, I'm a specialist, I suppose you could say, in ancient languages. That's what I did my degree in and my PhD, uh, Latin, medieval Greek, classical Greek, Hebrew, all of that. I work a lot with manuscripts and, and it just sort of, you know, there's so much controversy and so much debate about the history of the Shroud, apart from the scientific part of it. Uh, that that's where I sort of really got involved in it Um, from the historical side historical point of view that's what my speciality is and that's where I think I can make contributions you know I think and I think it's important to stay within your field of studies I can say what other people have said about science about image reproduction, about photography, you know, I can understand it. I don't have any theories because that's not my field. And I think that's a, one of the dangers that we you of, often see in shroud studies is people talking and saying that they're doing research and coming to conclusions about things outside their field. Now, when that happens with history, which we can talk about a bit later, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who think, oh, I read a book, so I'm a historian. Um, history is much more complicated than that but well that's me basically
0: awesome awesome well yeah welcome to show You're a welcome addition to the to the shroud wars so um all right cool so uh one thing i want to do uh just before again before we get into today's topics i promised uh joe marino because in in part one we kind of covered again the carbon 14 dating but um obviously Could i just say sure one little
1: interruption here. I haven't had the chance to congratulate in public Joe for his huge, gigantic, enormous book on the carbon dating. It was it's fantastic. And I and I I, I did in the Shroud newsletter when I was editing that, but I've never told him face face to face virtually. Joe, that was a work of art, that book.
0: Okay? No, thank you. you- do you mark? Do you agree with? Are you like the invisible reweave hypothesis? Is that what you?
1: I didn't at first, but the more I read about it and the more I looked into it, uh, totally convinced me. Thanks a lot to Joe and his work and Ray Rod. Well, all the science involved in that it makes a lot of sense.
0: Awesome. All right. Cool. So, so, so yeah. As I was saying, um, on the last show when we covered it, uh, Joe wasn't able to make it on that show. Lost the and- sound. Okay uh joe, joe wasn't able to make it on that show and obviously you know i i kind of go for bob rucker's hypothesis so none of us really represented the invisible reweave. so i want to turn it to joe and give you like 10 minutes or so to kind of give your case about the invisible reweave, or say whatever you want to say about that show so um yeah go, go ahead and take it away for the next 10 mm. minutes or so
2: yeah i'm not sure i'll i'll need that long um <clears throat> you know i think um first of all i agree with um mark's um point about you know going out outside your field of of expertise i i just kind of see myself as a generalist i'm not a textile expert i'm not a scientist but um you know what i think i am pretty good at is connecting dots because i've read everything in the english language and because of uh, the wonderful google translate i can now pretty much understand a lot of the foreign stuff or the Google translate is so much better than the software in the nineties, which was <laughs> yeah. pr- practically useless for language translation. Um, but, you know, I, I've, I've read everything. And as far as the invisible reeve uh, goes, um, you know, I presented a paper in um, 2019 at Ancaster and uh, had a lot of time to do it um, and, and gave some kind of superfluous background to it but um, I'm actually working right now uh, on an update of the uh, of the paper and I possibly may present it um, uh, virtually um, there's going to be a conference a 40th anniversary of the Mexican Shroud Center I believe uh, they've contacted me and, um, and I'm hoping I might be able to present the update. And rather than going into a lot of specifics right here, I mean, uh, you know, 10 minutes probably wouldn't be enough if I started doing that. Um, I would just say that uh, I've accumulated a lot of evidence and connected a lot of dots where I've got a lot of experts, including textile experts and scientists and and a lot of individuals who are independently suggesting that the cloth was manipulated. And um, I would point out that really Ray Rogers was really the only person in the world capable of, of accurately looking at our theory because he had leftover samples from the main part of the Shroud from 1978. And he also had some of the Reyes samples uh, which were right next to the C14 sample. And then later he actually got a C14 sample and found that the raya samples and the C14 samples had the same characteristics. And he found the splice and the dye and the, the gum and the stuff. And it's, um, it's like a lot of independent people are suggesting that that corner was manipulated. And there is... The technique known as the French invisible reweave. There's there's several types of that uh, weave, and um, I think there possibly were multiple types of uh, repairs, not not just that one. So um, I would just say the 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 accumulation of evidence for a reweave is is compelling, um, and as far as comparing it to Bob's theory and, and others, you know, Bob's theory is, is, um, inter- internally consistent and explains a lot of things. Uh, but at, at this and it's still speculative and, and, um, until we get more access to the shroud, um, it'll probably pretty much remain in the speculative field. Whereas the evidence I've presented in the reweave is, is empirical uh, scientific evidence and it has to be explained.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank, thanks so much for, for doing that. And for listeners, if you want even more detail about this issue, uh, you know, obviously, as I said, I've had Joe on the show before he's, he's done a discussion show, both with Hugh Ferry and with Bob Rucker. So I'll link in my blog to those shows and you can get a lot more detail, um, about those. Um, yeah with that said let's get into today's topics Um, so let me just share my screen here okay is that showing up for everyone Mm -hmm. yeah yeah all right so from the beginning so first thing we're going to do is look at these medieval manuscripts that allegedly prove the shroud is medieval and Just by way of recap, so I I kind of framed part one by having this kind of argument, right? So premise one, if the shroud is uh, probably medieval, I've modified that for you and for Bob and Hugh, then the shroud images are not miraculous or supernatural signs from God that uh, Christianity is true. Uh, And then we kind of covered that and said, actually, I I don't think premise one uh, can be established. Both Bob and Hugh agreed with me on that front. Um, And then we turn to premise two, and this is what we're focusing on now. Is it actually the case that the Shroud is uh, probably medieval? And this is where we're getting into the dating evidence. So this is the first evidence trying to establish the truth of premise two for today. Basically, we have this uh, memo dated in 1389 by the Bishop of Troyes, Pierre Darcis. and in this letter, he, he kind of mentions the fact that he has um, his predecessor, Henry de Portier conducted an investigation of the Leary Church when they were exhibiting the shroud. And he says, oh, they're just greedy. They're doing it for money and stuff like this. And um, essentially, there was an inquiry held where the artist who created the shroud himself admits, look, this is just a painted fake and and stuff like that. So. This is purported as evidence that proves, hey, look, the shroud is just another medieval fake relic. Um, and now, in terms of my assessment of it that I gave on my pre- previous shows, so in the first place, if you look at it through the lens of the bibliographical test, look, we we have much later copies of this. We don't have the originals. Uh, the copies that we do have, I think, uh, are fol- folio 137 and 138, and the text that I just read you is kind of like a combination of both of them. Um, none of them are dated. None of them are signed. Um, so this is a major problem. We don't know if the memo was ever sent. Um, there's issues with the Latin translation as well. Uh, you know, is it the artist or was it an artist in general who said this? Um, we also have provable external circumstances whereby the darsus had Darcy had motivation to lie. You know, for example, maybe it was him that was greedy because his church was destroyed um, and an expensive stained glass window was destroyed. So that was really expensive at that time. Well so he wanted to get the shroud for himself and gain the proceeds from that perhaps. Um, and then finally we have look, we have a letter, and this one is dated and signed from Bishop Henry De Portier the, the former Bishop who allegedly held this inquiry right before he died. It's dated May 28, 1356, just a few months before he died. And he's he doesn't mention an inquiry or any problems about the Shroud. Instead, he says, look, Louis Church, spot on. I am fully satisfied. I praise, ratify and approve of everything you're doing. Um, so yeah, there, there is no historical documents that mention this. and. The ones that we do have, I think, prove the opposite. Um, now, one thing I want to mention, because Hugh Ferry, even the Shroud Skeptic Hugh Ferry, and he'll correct me if I'm lying, but even he says, look, the, forget the memo. We we don't need, this isn't good evidence or something like that. For him, where it's at is a papal bull by uh, the Pope, uh, anti-Pope Clement VII. And I think it's, uh, I think this is the one that Hugh's appealing to. Again, he'll correct me if I'm wrong on that, but... Basically, the Pope says, look, you can keep on showing this thing, but you have to say it's a relic or it's a representation. You can't say it's the authentic cloth. And this supposedly proves that, hey, well, that's because they knew it was all an artistic fake. Um, my my response to that is you have to look at the surrounding documents and what's going on here. And I, I don't think uh, look at the next letter. Right. Again anti-pope clement kind of reverses himself and says okay go go ahead and keep uh, uh showing it i'm on your side now I'm, you're doing all good and stuff like that um so i think that the pope we have no way to prove that the pope had any evidence one way or the other whether this cloth is authentic or not um you know he's just playing politics essentially he's caught in the middle of this dispute and he's uh, okay fine uh, you know what uh, darcy shut up you're Perpetual silence, stop talking about this and bugging me about it. Uh, You guys, Leary, keep showing the shroud, but, you know, just call it a representation so it'll make people happy. It it just seems like a political decision. He's not really basing it on evidence one way or the other. So, yeah, in a nutshell, that's sort of my opening case um, on these medieval documents. And with that said, I will turn it over to... um, I guess, uh, yeah, Joe Marino, do you do you want to start first? You're at the top of my screen there, so. Um. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, I think um, your point about political um, issues is, you know, rings true because of the, you know, we can see that in the, like, what I did in the book in terms of the politics with the C-14. And you're going to have politics and religion back in the 14th century as well um, and I think it is um, true that you could make a case that Darcys uh, had a greed factor himself because of his the fact that his his own church needed repairs and he was maybe hoping to get the the relic himself I always when I look at the Darcy's memorandum, memorandum and, and especially when the skeptics say, oh, you know, look what he said. And it's like, well, you know, uh, you got uh, it, it. it's sort of like flat earthers uh, appealing to medieval documents that say the world is, is flat. I mean, just because somebody says it in the middle ages doesn't mean it's true. You know, you have to look at, at the surrounding, the context and the surrounding documents and, and, um, one one fact that very few people know, and I I, I imagine uh, a lot of the skeptics don't know it as well, is the fact that the uh, successor to Darcys was a, a bishop named I don't know how you pronounce it. I think it was, his last name is spelled R A G U E R something like Raguer. Um, He proclaimed that he thought the shroud was authentic, and of course you never see. Anybody, uh, especially the skeptics, um, make note of that. You know, they take his pronouncement way out of context and 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 just make a try to make a case out of that alone. Where um, there's more, and, and like Mark was saying, history is much more complicated than than most people think. So, um, yeah, I I don't think the Darcy's memorandum assertion by the skeptics is as strong as they think, but they tend, I think a lot of, um, the skeptics and, uh, you know, Hugh is an exception in terms of he's someone who does a lot of research. A lot of people that make pronouncements on the shroud do little or no research and, and, you know, think they're a historian or think they're a shroud expert and say, Oh, look, it's a fake. But, um, yeah, I, I hope, I'm hoping that in the future, um, more historical documents will be uncovered. And uh, I think it's also important to remember that, you know, we, we like primary sources, primary documents from history. But it's also to, important to remember, I think, that not everything was necessarily recorded and some some documents may have gone missing you know, it's not, it's not all black and white with history. There's a lot of gray areas. And um, I'm hopeful in the future that, uh, you know, additional documents will be uncovered uh, surrounding this issue.
1: I think, I think Joe's made a, a really important point there, which is basically when he said that just because someone says something in the Middle Ages doesn't mean it's true. That is one a big mistake that a lot of people make when talking about history i mean one day 700 years from now uh, walter macrone's work will be 700 years old uh, the pope's work will be 700 years old it doesn't make it any less true or more true than it is now okay age doesn't confer truth people have always been human Um, people have always made mistakes some people have written down those mistakes some people have lied same as they do today Dan Brown's work will one day be 700 years old doesn't mean it's true it's just a novel Um, age doesn't confer any kind of um, veracity let's say any kind of truth on somebody's work Um, also Darcy's memoir is OK, there's the point in history where you know that um, something is likely to be true if it's got what we call multiple attestation. In other words, if I say that um, today in La Coruña, the city where I live, I saw a sheep painted blue walking along the main street in the city. Well, you might think, OK, Max smoked something or been drinking a bit too much. If somebody else who I don't know, never met before in my life, um, also says, oh, you know, today there was a blue sheep wandering around the city of La Coruña in Spain and there's no contact between me and that person, then the most likely conclusion is that it's true. Okay, and Darcius is by himself on this. It's just one document of a guy who says, you know, it's a painting. Does he justify it? No. Does he he even know how to justify what's a painting and what isn't a painting? No, he doesn't. Um, It's something that's taken, I think, as Joe says, skeptics tend to accord that document much more importance than it's actually worth. Same goes for a lot of uh, pro authenticity documents. Just because they're old doesn't mean it's true. Okay, that in itself um, is not a reason for deciding that something's true or not true just because the document's old. Um, And a couple of points here. I would just like to disagree with something Dale said at the beginning of this. And I would say that uh, because this turns a lot of people off, even if even if tomorrow um, documents, science, whatever, proves that the shroud dates from the first century and was used on the historical person of jesus of nazareth i do not think even then that that's a sign from god that christianity is true okay i think that's taking things one uh, a step further than what science and history can do that's a personal choice um there's something maybe that's just a personal thing i don't like it when people say either the Shroud or the Sudarium is God's message to the 21st century. No, we don't know that. You might believe that. Fine. Absolutely fine. But that does tend to put a distance between Shroud studies and sometimes the academic world, let's say. OK, I think we have to be careful with the vocabulary on that one. Um, I don't know what everyone else thinks about that. I'm sure you yeah. would agree with that. Last yeah, minute, well, I I just right. said, but um, what's your take on the Darcy's memoir, Hugh?
0: Well, ju- and just before we go to Hugh yeah. one second, because Hugh and Bob have been very patient, but I just want to affirm. I, so I fully agree with you on the last, last part. So maybe I just wasn't clear what I was saying, um, although I do think that uh, it constitutes miraculous evidence. One thing I want to support both Joe and Mark on, um, and I'm not bringing you up in this show because we're all Christians and stuff, but yeah. with atheists, I'll use what I call the Gospel of Mark test because look, the Gospel of Mark was written. most biblical scholars place about forty years after the resurrection mm-hmm. the events. Well, same with this document. It's about forty years after the events of this inquiry. so I I try to do what what's the difference? Why don't you why do you dismiss the Gospel of Mark, but just blindly accept this. So I think that's a good yeah. compare contrast yeah. test yeah. um but yeah, Hugh, Hugh uh, you've been patient so. Over to you. What what's your kind of take about this?
3: Oh well, uh, yes, I've got lots of interesting things to say. Um, I think probably I'm going to start by saying that as a, as a good Catholic. I feel a bit nervous about the fact that uh, any prelate that uh, dares to think that the shroud is uh, wasn't is not genuine is probably a, a duplicitous money-grasping politician desperate to um, try and feather their own nest, and this includes not only Bishop Darcy uh, but also the uh, Pope Clement. Um, what a shame! Um, having said that, uh, I wonder i'm going to ask some rhetorical questions so there's no need for anybody to answer it but is there any evidence at all um of the shroud's existence in leary uh before uh say 1480 1380 uh, and the answer will be yes of course winner because we know it was in uh leary 34 years before the darcy memorandum and then we go yeah but we've discredited darcy because he makes it all up oh uh, so, who thought, who says that, that, who has ever claimed that the shroud was original uh, during the, uh, between, between say 1250 and 1350 or 1360? So? And the answer is we have no evidence that anybody thought the shroud was original except the Darcy Memorandum. It's only after that that people started claiming, um, as um, Joe said, uh, we had Pope, uh, or oh, Bishop Ruggie, uh, for example, in 1450, which was long after the Shroud had left Turin, so he probably had never seen it, um, claimed that he thought it was genuine. So let's go back and find out if Darcy had made all his stuff up, um, what exactly did he make up? Uh, he started by saying that the Shroud had appeared by the Dean and Chapter of, um, of Leary had acquired it. He doesn't mention Geoffrey de Shani
1: no but he's saying what did he make up oh. says it's a painting we know it isn't a painting no,
3: no, but what well, we well, i don't know he that. says it is but well, i, that's one I, thing but I just want to say up. what you know which bits do we decide that he's made up so if he didn't make up he except he we accept that he was right that the shroud did appear round about the time of the battle of poitiers i think that's quite important because we do know from uh, the documents of um bishop henry uh and uh, yes i think several documents from bishop henry that darcy built his chapel we know that he dedicated it to the virgin mary a cult of which bishop henry definitely uh approved and sent him a letter before he died saying that he approved of it he doesn't mention anything to do with the shroud and we know very well that his chapel was dedicated to the virgin mary after that uh we have the battle of poitiers in uh, probably martin is better than me august or september Um, 1356 at which Deshani dies and it is then I think that the shroud appears. Now whether it originally came from Deshani or whether the Dean of Leary had acquired it for himself and it had nothing whatever to do with uh, Deshani personally, uh, we don't know. The only evidence we have for any of the history of the shroud at that time is from this unscrupulous devil who was trying to collect money for himself in the 1390s. Uh, makes me wonder why um, Darcy should have it's not, bothered it's not
1: the only evidence, it's
3: not the only evidence. Well, no, 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 I'm just going through the, the documentary evidence at, at the time. Now, before Darcy wrote his memorandum, although Darcy's memorandum is undated, uh, Clement, the bishop, the pope, writes saying, uh, this, is a, this is a representation, um, but you can show it, as a representation now how, how does the pope know it's a representation I, I i just well who told him it was a representation who told him it was, existed at all is this D- darcy again or, or was there somebody else there's a lot of sort of background knowledge that we don't know yeah. now one of the reasons why the pope might have uh, insisted that it was shown as a representation uh, is because of the fourth lateran council which was only oh uh, less than 100 years previously at which one of the most important uh, statements uh, in it declared that there could be no new relics if they weren't personally approved by the Pope. Okay. So, if any, you. If any- how, how many times
1: throughout history, uh, just because there's a law and a rule doesn't mean that everybody sticks to it,
3: not even no. today.
1: There's a rule but against I- murder. Uh, murder is illegal, but people still kill each other.
3: No, 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 no. no. You're, um, uh, you're,
1: you're, just the, just the you fact know, you're, you're, that there is a rule the point. point has to do this doesn't mean that everybody fulfilled it. And even if yeah. it did, I don't really see what you're trying to get at. Um, I'm saying that. that are, are, you, are you trying to say that if we discredit Darcy's, then there's no evidence that the shroud existed at that time? Is that your message?
3: Yes. Let's okay. go for that. I
1: thought so, but that's wrong. There's plenty of um, an earlier. Uh,
3: oh no, no 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 no! I don't want any of the any all the evidence from Why early. Not? I don't. I'm not too bothered about that. Uh, I'm not interested in the, uh, At this point, we're discussing the memorandum. Why? So the Constantinople, all the evidence from Constantinople and stuff. I don't think uh, you throw is it out of the window. it doesn't with what you're trying to no, say. No, it's not. It's not relevant to this particular discussion. It is. Uh, well, let because uh, you're saying
1: there's no evidence. Um, yeah. It's like when people say, "Oh, you know, the shroud isn't mentioned in history before the 1350s." That's just not true. It's mentioned from the second century in various different documents. No, the debate there is is that shroud. But people give this, yes. this, this yes. Is something that very often sceptic will do without trying to group all sceptics into one basket. Thank you. Uh, so you know, there's no evidence for the shroud's history before the 1350s. It's just not true. There is. Is that shroud the same one that's kept in Turing today? That's a different debate. But the shroud is mentioned from the second century on. Oh, well, it's it's, mentioned, the, it's, in it's yes. mentioned in the
3: Bible. Yes. There is no silence.
1: That that talk about silence is just not true. All right,
3: guys. Supposing I was to grant all the evidence up till, say, uh, the destruction of Constantinople and then say, I believe that after that, the shroud was totally destroyed. Now is there any evidence that there was a shroud in 1350? Okay, so I mean,
0: I'm, I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna jump in here, right? So, so Hugh, uh, obviously, I want you to be able to finish your your opening case mm-hmm. type thing, but also Bob. Bob's waiting here, so I want to get Bob's opening case, and then yeah. we can come mm-hmm. back to the to the dialogue between you guys if you want to. But yeah, Hugh, finish your finish your opening case kind of thing on yeah, Okay, well, I'm
3: gonna just say so. I mean, I think that we're we're examining the the documents that suggest what that suggest that the shroud was in Leary around about 1350, and we're suggesting that. Um, th- th- that uh, Darcy made up certain aspects of it, but we don't know whether he made up any or all of it. We don't, we can't pin down. I mean, we we did Bishop Henry. Inst- uh, is Dar- Are we claiming that Darcy, that Bishop Henry, in fact, knew of the shroud and approved of it? In which case, we have no documents suggesting that that's true at all. Are we suggesting that Darcy was lying about Bishop Henry? carrying out an investigation. I mean, if, if he didn't carry out an investigation, what happened to the shroud? Supposing we take Darcy's um, statement as true for, for the sake of argument and that there was a shroud and it was being exhibited and it was claimed to be the shroud in about 1356. Mm. What happened to it? Why was it suppressed instantly? I mean, we we have no evidence that the shroud existed. I mean, was being uh, was being exhibited in 1360 or 1370 or 1380.
1: But again, Hugh, it, that, it was um, hidden. It that disappeared. Part we have... of, that's part of history. Um, oh, yes, 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 yes. We yes, don't but... have evidence for it every year. And if we did, then you could say, oh, but you don't have evidence for it every month. And if we and then... did, you could say, oh, but we don't have evidence for it every day. Of course not. We're talking about. The 14th century
3: yes but um, it is right? a, a it is authenticist. it is together it is a um, prime authenticist case that we don't have evidence of so, the inquiry that was carried out and now you're saying that the fact that we don't have evidence isn't important no i'm not Whereas it is it is a I'm crucial not, part not. of the authenticist case that we don't when so, are you, so what are you saying you if,
1: if, if we dismiss darcy then the shroud didn't exist and it was never in Lee <laughs>
3: No. and,
2: and
1: okay.
3: it must be and it must date from the 17th century what I'm saying
2: is, is no, we must work like that. why it do it we dis-
3: work like that. why do we discredit why because we know discredit?
1: scientifically that it is not a painting That's oh, well, what that we discredit okay. Now I'll, I'll I will okay. no matter how skeptic no even if you think the shroud yeah. dates from the 20th century mm. scientifically it is not a painting yeah. and there is zero doubt about that so if darcy says it was a painting cunningly painted. Then he was wrong. That's uh,
3: what we said. I, 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 I perfectly concede. See...
1: scientifically wrong. Nothing to do with my opinion, hmm. nothing to do with Joe's opinion, nothing to do with anyone's opinion. He was wrong. No argument can go against that. Right. Uh, I'm, not to,
3: I'm not going to argue it. I'm not even going to refute it. But I am going to deny it. Absolutely. The Shroud is a medieval forgery. It, does not ex- it did not exist before the 1350s. Okay, and, and i don't think any i don't think any of your um i think it may have started as a painting not actually with a paintbrush but probably as an imprint
1: uh-huh okay, okay cool so, so well, you have science against you on that
3: but no i don't no
1: fine. no yeah you do i mean everybody's interested okay. that's their that's, own the, media, that's, that's the science,
3: you've already science admitted you. you're not a scientist and you're trying to go outside your field of expertise you're a historian
0: I, I'm not, I'm, I'm <laughs> okay, so, so i'm going to take over as the host so, <laughs> this is this is awesome uh no it, this is good for the informal dialogue part you guys have gotten a great start but i do have to be fair like during the opening presentations um i i not we don't interrupt each other. Let let each other give our cases, and then during the informal dialogue part afterwards, we'll talk to each other, kind of thing. Uh, but try to keep the opening presentations, you know, a five minutes or some five minutes or so, and then we come back. So, uh, but yeah, Bob, um, you haven't had a chance to speak about this. So, what's kind of your opening take on? Oh,
4: okay, <clears throat> well, I'm not an expert in history, but just in, in my reviewing here of of the various evidences and whatnot. It seems like this is a, a, a lot to do about very little. Uh, it, it seems to me like th- this reference to uh, an investigation, uh, it, it merely says that this previous investigation had encountered a person who said that he painted the shroud. But I can think of three different ways that that could be understood. It's ambiguous. Uh, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that he painted the Shroud of Turin. Uh, in in total. It could mean that he touched it up. It could mean that he simply made copies of it. Uh, There were some, I don't know, 42, 52, 55 copies. Various people quote the different numbers of copies uh, of the Shroud, and it may simply mean that he had made a copy of the Shroud, Uh, and that would be entirely consistent with this uh, supposed previous investigation. Secondly, the documents we're talking about are evidently drafts. And there's no evidence that they were ever sent or ever recognized by, by uh, the Pope or sometimes called the anti-Pope uh, Clement. So, uh, and then it is proven, uh, I think conclusively that the shroud is not a painting. So, so that whatever the, this old uh, alleged document, this draft document says, it has no basis in truth. So it's a lot to do about relatively little. That's my that's my take on it.
0: Awesome. All right, cool. Thank you. So so yeah, now we can go to kind of like the the informal dialogue part. Um one one thing I'll I'll just start before we get into the conversation between Mark and and Hugh Ferry and finish that off. Um Bob and Joe, did did you guys have any like questions or or comments that you wanted to make about uh some of the others' presentations or Hugh's Hugh's take at all or no 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 awesome perfect so yeah mark mark and hugh i will you know i'll give you guys um uh, how long do you guys need maybe like 10 minutes or so before we move to the next oh, as long, as, long as you matter. like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until, until you stop us if you like yeah cool we'll, we'll keep going just try try not to talk at the same time because it's hard to like make it out but other than that i'll stand out of the way and let you experts go at it so yeah what uh mark what what do you want to uh tackle hugh on or vice versa.
1: Sorry, I missed that. You were cut there. What
0: did you say, Dale? Oh, I was just saying, so I'll get out of the way and let you guys go on. But Mark, um, what did you want to tackle Hughes' case on or vice versa? Hugh, what did you want to tackle Mark on?
3: Well, I, I, perhaps I'll, I'll, um, I'll start while Mark's catching up. Uh, I'm not sure that the, the Darcy memorandum, I mean, I agree that the Darcy memorandum is not as important uh, as it is sometimes given credit for. Uh, as everyone agrees, it's undated and it's unsigned. However, it fits in perfectly with all the uh, bulls that we do have from Pope Clement. It also fits in with the um, statement of the, oh, what was his name? I forget, Hippolyte or Humbert of Or sorry, just to look him up, um, who was given the shroud uh, to take away from Leary, um, either just before or just after the Battle of Agincourt, because they thought it might get... Uh, uh, because they, they thought it might get uh, taken by the British. Ha, me. Um, but uh, oh, me. Uh, he mm-hmm. says, he signs, he signs a receipt for a representation um, of the Shroud. I, I can't find anybody who ever thought that the Shroud was not a representation or any evidence that the Shroud was thought of by anybody as not a representation um, until about uh, 14, say 50 or so, when Marguerite was hawking it around Europe, saying, Come and look at my relic. Now, is there any evidence that anybody thought that the Shroud of Liri was original before, say, let's 1420?
1: Um, and those 50 years sort of convince you that some guy uh, who is scientifically mistaken in the 1350s says one thing. And 50 years later, somebody says the opposite. And those 50 years, he is
3: right. And she's wrong. Did did anybody think it was original? That's a simple enough question. Of course they did. Um, It was just one of those things that you didn't have to say because um,
1: nobody had argued against it until uh, Darcy's. Uh, People just accepted it. um, Really? Rightly or wrongly. Why was
3: it not exhibited? When? Between 1350 uh, and forty and, 80, 40 and Absolutely no idea,
1: because the people who had it didn't want to. Why isn't it exhibited uh, in two
3: thousand and twenty-two? Well, well long to the see, Vatican and the Vatican you, decide not to do it. It's you can go and see where it is. I mean, that, but I'm told by authenticists that this was a, a way of making lots and lots of money, and yet the Leary right. people apparently decided not to exhibit it at all, and you don't know why. Well, of course we don't know why. We don't know everything about hmm. the Middle Ages. Well, Darcy um, suggests
1: that you, Darcy, you know why. Why do they exhibit the shroud today in the twenty-first
3: century or the twentieth century? Well, of course, I know why. Yeah, I mean why? it's it's me ask a it's a, killer,
0: it's a massive Christian symbol, and yes, Dale, yeah i just want to ask you because from my understanding we we do have proof that like you're you're not denying that the shroud existed in the 1350s you're saying it just wasn't exhibited but what about the pilgrims badges like that has his thing it dates to the okay yeah perfect
3: i was hoping somebody might come up with those yes of course we don't know when they date to um because they don't have any dates on them but they do have coats of arms and at one point Uh, We were very happy that the earliest um, badge found uh, was also the earliest badge made because it has the Sharni coat of arms in the um, prime Mm. place of honour, I think, and the de Belgi coat of arms next to it. And then the second uh, badge that was found has them the other way round and uh, ian wilson discusses this at some length in one of the british society newsletters british society the children newsletters and he's slightly changed his mind and he thinks that perhaps the uh, first badge uh, offers primacy to as it were mrs deshani her husband having been killed at the battle of um, of poitiers and the deshani badge represents the the infancy of her son and the second badge, which shows the Dashani arms in prime position, uh, is from about the 1390s when Dehanni II started to exhibit the shroud. And of course it should be mentioned that Dehanni II, when he started to exhibit the shroud, he didn't say that it was original. He said it, it was a representation. Um, he just exhibited a, a representation. What do you mean by representation, Hugh? A, a copy. A, I mean, a, a, um, not the real thing. A figuram okay. out represent. I, I, I don't see that from a linguistic or etymological point of view. Well, the, the Latin, I think the Latin is perfectly clear about it. The um, Latin it,
1: is perfectly
3: it clear. It is a it. figuram sive representationem about 15 times in uh, every one of Clement's. Um, but, I, but representation
1: bold. is not the same as fake, not even as painting. Uh, well,
3: it <clears throat> doesn't mean, not, well, definitely, well, non-est means it is not the original shroud. Now, that appears in at least two bulls. Yeah. Now, that's, that's pretty conclusive. That rather suggests that the person who wrote it didn't think it was original.
1: It completely suggests that. Uh, doesn't mean he was right. Oh, no, 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 not at all. One person, you say one thing, I <laughs> say another thing. <clears throat> they <700, throat> could have. 700 years from now, people might look at our arguments and well, say, obviously well, they can't both be right. Um well, yes, to, to any can't to any say just on the basis of ah oh, yes, one yes, person obviously. says it was a painting and is not the original, therefore we've proven it's a fake. It
0: doesn't
3: Yes, to, to, so anybody,
0: yes to, to anybody sorry, to anybody who's who is gonna is, ask Mark sorry. Uh, sorry. I want to ask Mark a question. So okay, f- finish finish <laughs> with that in like a minute or so, but I have a question for Mark before we move on as well. Sorry,
3: do you want me to, uh, to, so I was going to say yes. Uh, well, to anybody who is absolutely convinced that the Shroud is genuine, then obviously uh, there must be something wrong with with all the evidence which suggests that it's not genuine. Of course. Um, however, anybody who's convinced that the Shroud is not genuine uh, can validly think that there is something wrong with all the evidence that suggests that it is. I mean, that's that's the point about a debate. Yep. Mm-hmm all right um something Gondale,
4: so,
1: uh, gone dale sorry you had a question
0: so now yes you, you ask your question no problem so yeah mark i wanted to obviously you are a historian so i wanted to kind of get your take i mentioned um and, and by the way for for all of the panelists you, you guys can share your screen at any time if you want to um but or ask me to share but i'm just gonna go back to sharing my powerpoint because i wanted to ask you mark about these other documents like look we we have a document, a letter from Henry de Portier, and he seems to be suggesting the exact opposite. There's no mention of this inquiry or an artist, as well so surrounding the papal bull. You know, we have about seven or so documents. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with all of those, but what's your take on these other documents? Does that really back up uh, Hughes' claims in your view, or not? Well. I mean, just as
1: documents, the only thing that documents tell us is what the person who wrote it thought, okay? Not necessarily the truth, um, especially if the two documents contradict each other or the 25 documents contradict each other. Someone must be wrong. Um, As far as uh, this is a problem, not just with the Shroud. It's a problem with uh, history documents, problem with any ancient or medieval documents. Um mainly what they teach us is what the person who wrote them thought. Uh, not necessarily an empirical truth. As happens in so many fields, we do tend to know more about what is not true than what is necessarily true. And my take, like I was saying, on the Darcy's memorandum, is what I would disagree with: is you know, he says it's a painting. It isn't. And that's not Mark speaking, that's science speaking. And it doesn't matter that I'm not a scientist, because I can read and I do understand what scientists say. All I'm saying is I wouldn't do research into that because I'm not capable of it. I do research into history. Um, It's a proven fact that the shroud, no matter what it is, no matter what it isn't, no matter what it shows, no matter what its message is or isn't, it's not a painting. Okay. And I think that if you get outside that, then the debate is like lost in a way. I mean, you have to start with certain scientific facts. That's why I would disagree, Dale, with what you said at the beginning about the Shroud being God's sign that Christianity is true. That's a personal opinion. It's not science. Okay, it's respectable and everything, but it's, it's a personal opinion. The fact that the Shroud is not a painting is not an opinion. Okay, that's just is okay and there's nothing wrong with admitting that okay and if you and I think if you deny that then well you could go anywhere after that you know it was sent by an alien um it was produced by you know it was a medieval photograph I mean you can go anywhere with that It, it isn't that you're getting into a bit like outside of the serious topics when you get into that kind of thing
0: Gotcha. All right, cool. So I, I see that Hugh Hugh raised his hand. So yeah, Hugh, I'll I'll give you a couple minutes. Uh, Bob and Joe, you, you guys. Uh, are uh, you just any. to I'll just just to respond to that one about
3: uh, the the document that we do have from Bishop Henry, <clears throat> and in fact we have a couple um, in which Bishop Henry extols uh, Geoffrey Shawnee the first's um, uh, ambitions to build the chapel, and then I mean it took him ages for, before it was finally consecrated, um, but but all this was excellent, as I've said. Um, but then he died. And then it is the Dean of Leary who procures this cloth from we know not where. Um, at least, according to Darcy, who might not be telling the truth. Um, but uh, so that's, that's by that particular document doesn't clash with, uh, you know, there's no need to, to worry. It doesn't clash with the idea that the, um, the shroud was uh, produced later on.
0: Cool. Awesome. It,
3: doesn't, uh, it doesn't clash with with uh, with um, Darcy's idea that he then carried out an inquest to find out who was exhibiting this shroud in the church dedicated to the Virgin Mary.
0: Awesome. All right. Cool. So uh, yeah. So Bob, Bob and Joe, I, I, again, you guys have been patient. Do you, do you have anything that you want to contribute on this? Lastly, before we move on to the next topic. No.
2: Um, yeah. I have a. I, uh, I wanted to go back uh, to to Hugh's comment about. You know the I forget how he phrased it but um, because we thought Darcy might be greedy um, you know that every Catholic prelate we're, we're saying every Catholic prelate is greedy which I I <laughs> we're not saying that we're, we're saying Uh-oh. in Darcy's situation there were based on the evidence he might have been greedy that doesn't we're not talking about other Catholic prelates i think that's, that's kind of a
3: uh well i'm glad about that but what, and, and pope clement he was sort of hedging his bets he knew it was authentic or, or thought <laughs> it might be authentic but he didn't want to upset the
2: politics of the time well very possibly politics <laughs> politics play a role in religion all the time and we can you know we, we, it's hard to, to guess what was in their mind 700 years ago it's a, well, i'm just saying that it was a possibility that the politics yeah. were, were in the forefront there.
3: I don't I'd agree with that. I just wanted to raise the flag being a good Roman Catholic.
4: Mm. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, as far as I understand it, none of these people saw the shroud. So what, what merit <laughs> yes. that they say? I, I, you know, I, I just don't understand what, why there's so much effort uh, uh, on this issue. Because as far as I understand it, none of these people actually investigated the shroud. Yeah. So why would we believe them at all?
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. That yeah, that that was the point. Uh, I think I and Mark were raising as well. Like, at mm-hmm. the end of the day, they don't they don't have the proper evidence to base their opinion on. So it's based mm-hmm. on something else, whether it's politics, whatever. We can speculate, but we don't have to know. At the end of the day, we have this undercutting defeater that, like, it also it's.
3: Yeah, so I, I could just. Um, I'll add another historical thing onto that, which which is interesting because you're quite right. Um, of. All these early documents. It's not obvious that anybody at all, um, yes, ha- had actually seen the, the shroud. The first eyewitness account. I mean, whether we can count Humber de Villisex or who actually took the shroud from Leary with him and his and his wife. Oh, was it his wife or with Margaret de Um He may have seen the shroud um, and called it a representation. And then the next time we hear it described. I think is when it turns up in liege and um oh my goodness i've forgotten his name Zansiflet or something like that um he also examined it very carefully and said it was a representation um so the first two people who do describe it from an eyewitness point of view they say it's a painting not that they're necessarily no 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 definitely it's say it's an artistic painting. No, no, Zansiflet says it's an artistic work.
0: No,
3: no, no. Zansiflet says it's an artistic work. I mean, he definitely says. So so let Mark Mark come back and then we'll move on to the next. So, yeah, Mark. Peter McCrone said the same. And what? He's wrong.
1: I mean, again, we're getting back to that. It's pointless arguing about whether it's a painting or not. It isn't. Okay, well, I okay. disagree and it. doesn't matter
3: it? what you believe, you're, 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 it doesn't matter what Just a minute. If I was to a, say, if I was to, announce, no, I'm sorry, if I was just to say here that you're objectively uh, and entirely um, impartially, you're completely wrong, it is a fake, then we're just going to start at each other shouting, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong. But no, I'm a scientist, I know all the science, scientific evidence. Let's try to, well, I'm once look, you're entitled I'm to right.
1: your opinion. But there are flat earthers as well. They're entitled to their opinion. No,
3: but I think uh, you're the flat earther in this case. You see, that's the trouble. Why? Just because okay, so I think so, that so this is thing might be discourse.
1: related to Jesus of Nazareth. Um, so no,
3: so Mark, uh, because uh, you you you've come to an, an unsustainable
0: uh, conclusion. So let let's okay. Okay, let's stop, right? Okay. So we have a disagreement. Find that's you. great. And mm-hmm. and we'll, there there's going to be future shows where we're discussing specifically the evidence, the scientific evidence for the painting hypothesis so so that's coming up in a future panel show and you guys are both welcome back and, and we can go into that but i think at this point we do have two other topics to cover so i do want to move on to the next one the next bit of evidence the the positive case as a rebutting defeater to premise two proving look the shroud is not probably not medieval and that is let me just share my screen here for everyone um oops that's the wrong thing okay um oh that's good there you go. <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, so with this art history and numismatic coins argument, in my Shroud social Part 2, I laid out three evidential lines. So the first are these uh, famous or infamous, depending on your perspective, these Vinian markings. Um, and that's the, the case that throughout art history, um, there have been certain odd features on depictions of Jesus that show up on various Byzantine paintings, dating from the 6th century to the uh, 1204 with the the Fourth Crusade kind of thing when the shroud was was lost apparently according to the pro shroud side um, so there's this link here the second is um, Alan Wanger's use of the polarized image overlay technique and again he compared various Byzantine paintings and coins using this technology and using forensic points of comparison he, he found that there were you know, up to 200, I think, points of comparison on some of these uh, things, proving that the shroud was the common source for this. Now, just by way of an update, um, I've looked into this a little bit more detail based on feedback I've gotten. I I now wouldn't use this evidence. That's my update. I think that this evidence fails. When you look at the forensic criteria, it's a little bit more complicated than what Alan Wenger was proposing. Um, but that's just my take. We'll see what the panelists have to say about that. Um, and then finally, we have Giulio Fonti's 2015 statistical analysis, specifically of the of the various Byzantine coins. The, for example, on the 692 uh, coins, he, let me just bring up. He, he found that there was over 99.99% probability um, that the shroud provided the common source for these coins um specifically on one coin and here's one you can see the very some of the 15 similarities based on the blood stains uh the, sh- the swollen eyebrow and stuff like that um so these are all the let me just go to the end so he, um yeah so he did use these to do these statistical analysis and he discovered that as i said there is less than 0.01% probability statistically that the shroud was uh, not used as the source for these uh, coins and stuff like that, dating to 692 to 695. Um, so yeah, with that said, that that's it for my opening case in a nutshell, but um, I'll, I guess, yeah, we can, st- I'll turn it over to my guests. Like, um, yeah, what's your take on some of these things? We can take it bit by bit. Do you guys prefer to start like with the Vinyan markings or do you want to tackle all three at once or what do you guys want to do?
3: I'm uh, ha- happy to do them one at a time, but I, I feel I've somewhat monopolised the discussion so far. So, if, if other people would like to give their take on it, um, also I've got uh, my uh, paper on on the vineyard markings, which I could share with people if they wanted. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Uh, so so yeah. I'm happy
3: to let other people take the lead on it because I'm I'm aware that I've rather dominated it so far.
0: All right. Cool. So so let's start. Take it one at a time. So let's start with the vineyard markings and. Yeah, Bob, what's your take on on the Vinnie markings? Do you think it's good evidence or? Um,
4: You know, just, uh, I haven't studied this. Uh, I would have to admit that up front and, you know, not being an expert on it, but uh, it seems to me like uh, it it would be a difficult task to do a a proper statistical analysis uh, of these markings. Uh, I, I think that, there could be a compelling argument made that that there is an agreement between what's on the the shroud and and what's on the coins. I think that there is, but but how you would develop a statistical analysis to prove a probability, I think is is another issue. So I'm a little bit hesitant uh, on Taking a, an opinion on, on that, not having read it. Okay,
0: awesome. So that's you're talking about the 2015 julio Fonti's statistical argument based on the coins. You're yes. you're a little iffy on that. Okay, cool. uh yeah, Joe Joe Marino, what's your what's your take about any of these three arguments?
2: Um, as far as the Vignon markings, I think I think it's very suggestive. I think art history can tell us a lot. Um, I think it is hard to kind of. Uh, quantify it exactly but um you know not uh, you can have to take into account each artist is gonna have its own artistic uh uh bias or intent and uh, but i remember reading somewhere it's um it might have been in wilson's book or something his 78 book that one byzantine painting had all 15 uh, of of the Vignon markings, uh, and that if that's true, I mean that's it's somewhat uh, subjective. Um, that that would be very suggestive. I find very um, compelling, for example, on on some of the coins and uh, the fact that uh, where there's the fold mark at the bottom of the neck on the shroud, there's a the artist seemed to uh, incorporate a a fold there in, in the exact you know the the two parallel lines. I think those are very suggestive. Um, I'd love to see some uh, uh, more art historians jump in. I think uh, Thomas de Wessolo's book was, was very important. I think, you know, he was a, uh, he's an expert in the, the, uh, the time period in which uh, the, the, if the shroud was uh, uh, forged, uh, you know, he he was he says it's just, it doesn't match with that period. Um, so I think art history is, is part of the equation, part of the puzzle. And um, I think it's part of the preponderance of the evidence that's suggestive. It's never going to be probably 100% uh, conclusive, but uh, I think the, the markings are very suggestive. And um, I'll just say here, I, at some point, I've got um, a picture of uh, a, a representation of Jesus from Ravenna, Italy, in around the fourth century. And I got these from Russ Braille because I saw it in one of his uh, PowerPoint presentations. And um, the first one that was in the church is kind of the, the Roman, the, the beardless and the Clean shaven and all that—that that sort of thing—and then if if one believes that the shroud was rediscovered as the image of Edessa in around five forty four, um, that same church with, with one hundred years later on the opposite side of the of the uh, the church shows kind of a, a shroud like Jesus, and that's only in a hundred year period, uh, which seems like a long time, but in in history in historical terms, that's you know, that's just a drop in the bucket, but uh, hopefully at some point um, I can share that and show those those two uh, uh, representations that I got from Russ.
0: Yeah. Well, if, if you want, you could, I can stop sharing my screen. You can share share right now. If you all, want. Right,
2: all right. Go Try it. Okay.
0: Cool. Uh, let's see. No. Bottom. It'll say share screen. You know how to do it. Yeah. Let's see
2: see if I can get it. Um, Am I getting it now? Let's see. Uh, Okay, there's the there's the first one. So fourth, fourth century in Ravenna, and then about a hundred years later, it's that. So, I, I think these sort of uh, images are, are very compelling.
0: Awesome! Awesome! Perfect. All right. Cool. Well, yeah. With that, I want to turn it to to Mark Guskin. again. You Ooh. you are um, a, a historian here, so. What's your sort of take on all three of these lines of evidence that I've laid out? Do you find anything- um, My own
1: personal opinion is I do not think the Vignon markings, most of them probably don't even exist. I, I don't agree with that line of argument at all. I think if somebody was going to use the shroud image, as inspiration for a painting, they would have made it a lot clearer and done it a lot better. I don't buy into the vignon markings at all. Just as an example, the fact that, you know, if there's an inverted three on the forehead, I'm not going to paint it as two strands of hair going like that. I'll paint it as an inverted three. Uh, That just doesn't make any sense. Same goes with the Wanger and the Overlay project. It's a good idea. I saw him do it live. I can't remember at which Shroud Congress. Maybe it was one of the Dallas ones. I really don't remember. Um, but it got to a point at the end where I got the impression that if you've got uh, two eyes, a nose and a mouth, well, he can do the overlay and you look like the man on the shroud. Um, I didn't buy into that either. I just thought it was looking for things that sound good. Um, yeah. uh a lot of people like it. A lot of people think it's nice. I'm very skeptical on that point. And as for the coins and Giulio Fanti, I haven't looked at that in enough detail. There might be something there. Again, not sure. I'm not sure about that one. Fairly sure against the first two of those three items that you said. For me, the vineyard markings and the wanger overlay don't show anything. It's, it's wishful thinking. Awesome.
0: Awesome. My opinion. And I reserve the right to be wrong. Yeah, okay. absolutely. I, I won't hold you to accounts. So don't <laughs> worry. Um, all right, cool. So, uh, yeah, Hugh, um, come coming to you last night. Uh, I'll just have a look, see if I can show you yeah. a document up. I'd
3: quite like to share a screen, if I may.
0: Yeah, for sure.
3: Um, whoops, hang on a second. I'm going to try and find it first. Where's my uh, vignon things? I thought I had them. <laughs> the point way. Where instantly we find oh uh, well um i haven't got the on things here but what i have got here we go is uh some uh some gold coins right now do i click on share screen or yeah, yes click I on click share, on share screen.
0: screen. it'll pop up like a box click on okay you're doing
3: oh it. lovely there it's awfully can. big there we go oh i can make them smaller right can we see lots of them yep yep okay so um What I did here was I googled um, Justinian II, Gold Coins and Minus Shroud. Um, If you don't put Minus Shroud in, then the whole thing is packed with Julio's own findings, which are of course designed to show you that these coins are all derived from the Shroud, so they all have a sort of similarity. But this is the first, I was trying to get 30, but uh, or, or uh, whatever it is, four, six, 4, 24, but I only managed to find 22 uh, in, in the time. And these are mostly um, coins from the Justinian uh, era. Some of them may have just crept in because they were there, under, uh, I found them under those headings. And if we look at them, we can certainly see that they have a generic similarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one would be mad not to say that they didn't all show um, a a Christ facing forwards. Um, he uh, mostly has long hair falling on either side and that sort of thing. And he has a beard. Every single one of them, of course, shows him holding a book. Everyone has him holding a book and has his hands in a very particular position, You can see with with two fingers divided like that in a definite place. Yes, one would suggest that all these derive from a common ancestor. And that common ancestor is one in which Jesus was holding a book and had his hands like that. They couldn't all, I think, have just been only derived from the shroud. Otherwise, there'd be no point Uh, There'd be no reason for every single one to have Jesus's hands in exactly that position. So I think we have to go at least two steps backwards. And I think this is where perhaps Julio and um, probably, oh, that young man who's just written an article for the um, numismatics magazine, who's been looking at the same thing, but through copper coins. So we can't say, and I think it would be wrong to say that the person who anybody who carved the dies on any of these must necessarily have seen the shroud it's much more likely that he saw uh, an image that he copied from they can't i'm mean, surely all of them wouldn't have got the fingers in exactly that position uh, uh, on the basis of just guesswork and so i i think we have to go back from here to another image and we don't have that original image but we might guess that that original is uh, you might speculate and i would i would follow you along on that thing, if you, if you would do that, to say that well, that image was that image derived from the shroud. And of course, now we're two images away and it's a bit difficult to tell. I mean, just by glancing at the ones that I put on your screen, we can see that every single one of these has ears. Now, I think, bless him, Julio's managed to find a couple which don't have ears, just like the shroud and have much straighter hair. But these ones do have ears, suggesting that the image they were all copied from mostly uh, did have ears. Uh, I, I think the ones if, if you manage to find one which doesn't have ears, uh, then that's maybe just an exception. It doesn't necessarily mean that that particular chap had to go to um, wherever it was to the shroud and copy it. So I think Julio's Julio's um case is weakened by the fact that i don't think these demonstrate that they must have been copied directly from the original shroud also we can see of course i mean just it uh, goes without saying some of them have a pointed beard some of them have a forked beard some of them have a blunt beard some of them have a long beard the proportions between their eyes varies according to the proportion between the eyes and the nose and the fact that you can find one or two coins which have exactly the same proportions of eyes and nose as the shroud um is not terribly convincing, given all the other coins which don't. I think one of the things that people sometimes mistake is that if you can find one coin, which matches the shroud, that that means that the shroud must have been, um, must have been the source of that coin. I I think you have to consider all the other coins minted at around about the same time. These are mostly over about a 10 year period where the shroud uh, is not perfectly matched.
1: No. That's not that's not a good line of argument, Hugh. Um, If you if I have, I think I used this an example once in an article, if I say that I've got uh, the hat that Napoleon was wearing at the Battle of Waterloo, and I put it among 30 hats that Napoleon wasn't wearing at the Battle of Waterloo, Yes, that doesn't mean that that one hat is any less genuine. I agree with your general viewpoint about the coins. I don't think they're shroud inspired, but just because there are other coins that aren't doesn't mean that one oh, no. that uh, can't be. In a, uh,
2: well, yes.
3: Oh, OK, yeah, I'll, I'll follow that. Now, I just want to uh, mention a little game which I used to play with my children in maths classes, um, which sort of covers Julio's probability thing. Um, and that is that you take a coin which appears to match the shroud and you go what are the chances of it doing this and what are the chances of it doing that and what are the chances of it doing this and you end up with one in squillions yeah. and i used to ask the uh, children in my class what were the chances of my tossing a coin right in front of them right there uh, heads ten times i think it was eight times it probably was uh, and they'd all go it was very unlikely i said well i can do it i do it, i'll do it every class i'll do it every uh, three times five times every class And they would all go, well, how can you do that? And of course, I got a jar of 400 coins.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: And I threw them all on the floor, took half of them away, threw them all on the floor, took half of them away, threw them all on the floor. And by the time there was only a few left, those coins had all of them achieved, or those three or four coins or two or three coins left, had achieved whatever it is, a one in a million chance of happening. And -hmm. they went, yes, but that doesn't count. But of course, this is this is exactly what happens with these coins. <laughs> That's very similar to and the, all these probability estimates that that people come up with are rather based on that sort of thing. I, so, I agree.
1: Uh, I agree. But in theory, uh, the argument doesn't. You know, the fact that there could be a hundred coins not inspired by the shroud doesn't mean that there might not be. And I'm not saying there is, but doesn't mean that there might not be one that is. Oh, not not in itself. No, I agree with that. But mm-hmm. as, I agree they're you, you, not. I, I agree with you. I don't think they're Shroud inspired.
3: Yeah. But now, um, the, the there's there are quite a lot of people uh, other than our two um, Shroud authenticists have studied these, these uh, coins and, indeed, all the Byzantine images um, that appear to be of this uh, similar kind. And they tend to think that they either came um, from the roof of the Hagia Sophia, um, which was the big church in constantinople and and still is except that it's been rebuilt a couple of times um or from a massive uh, uh mosaic above the bronze gate of the old palace of yeah. um, uh, of of constantinople and there's uh, without actually seeing what those originally were um we can't pick out particular markings and i i think that um mark was absolutely right here with i'm going slightly back now to the vignon markings so i'm going to stop showing and i'm sorry that i i, I thought i had got my vignon um yeah, yeah,
0: mark right.
3: uh, uh, thing ready to show but perhaps i didn't let me just Is it a...
0: just the white like do you want me to share my thing of it like you're talking about just the thing with the numbers on the face or something um, no, it, it wasn't that. Well, I mean, you, 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 can put, you
3: can put it up if you like. Now, I think, as far as I know, it, it might be useful, yes. It'll just help everybody to remember. Now, uh, this drawing, as far as I can recall, I think was done by an American called Wenchel, Alfred Wenchel, Arthur Wenchel, Joel Edward. Edward, Edward Wenchel, um, who uh, derived it, he didn't copy it, he derived it from a book in French uh, by Paul Vignon, which has never been translated. Um, I have a copy of it, and I've translated it. And what is very interesting about when Vignon starts discussing his markings is that he sees them on just about every possible Byzantine um, depiction. And now he begins rather like um, rather like Joe does with that uh, one of the baptistries in Ravenna, in Italy which was very much a, a senior center of the Byzantine culture of the time. And he spots, especially, that little square, which is marked two on the top of the brow there. And he says, look, this has influenced the whole of Byzantine portraiture. And I'm going to show you some examples. And his book is full of examples, and they are, for exa- none of them, of Christ. They begin with dozens and dozens of mosaics of apostles all of whom have this square directly above them. And Paul going, look, this has got a really good square. And then he starts mentioning other things. And you'll see number one is a transverse line across the forehead, which practically every Byzantine mosaic has got that sort of smudge across its forehead. In fact, practically every picture of everybody has got a smudge like that across their forehead because that's what people look like. And then he goes into things like the um, the, the nose is is swollen on one side but not on the other and again every single portrait (laughs) has got the nose bigger on one side than it has on the other it's nothing to do with the shroud it's just what people actually look like the if you try and pick out things which are uh, characteristic exclusively of the shroud um, one of the interesting things is is number 13 which you can see at the bottom there which some people claim are fold lines which obviously uh, don't appear on on real people, uh, but they are mirrored according to some people. But not Vignon, he didn't pick this up uh, sensibly, as we'll see, um, because he never saw them. But they're picked up, according to some people, in uh, the double um, hem of the neckline of people's tunic when they're wearing it. Uh, but the reason why uh, paul vignon never mentioned it is because those fold lines didn't exist at the time when he saw the shroud if we look at the um po uh, the second po picture of the shroud's face uh, of the face of the shroud those lines at the bottom there that fold doesn't exist at all uh, and so consequently it couldn't it, it's it's a feature of the fact that the shroud was rolled up in fact nearly all the creases on the shroud um I think most, most clearly are, um, are, are features of the rolling up of the shroud in the 19th century, and they have nothing to do with anything that was there in the third or fourth century. One possible piece of evidence for this is that we do know that the shroud was folded um, quite seriously and packed tightly into a reliquary uh, in um, uh, 1534 when the, when the Great Fire was it 1534? Got to get right, yes. Uh, when when the big fire broke out thirty two thank you thank you mark well for some reason, none of those folds are now visible on the shroud, but we are uh asked to suppose that certain folds that in fact were uh, are, are um, were there in uh in the in the fourth century so the the fold thing that doesn't work out uh for me at all anyway um I do recommend it's in um Oh it's in the medieval shroud 3. Wait a minute. I think I'm going to share a screen if I may. Um Can I share a screen? Yep, go ahead. You'll you'll love this. Oops, let me try and find it first. Ah. All right. Here we go. Oh, I think hang on. I've got to unshare that and share something else. I think
0: right. while you're bringing the apple. Oh, I'll, I'll just wonder, oh,
3: Can you can I Oh, hang on. I'm going to close that and share this. Okay,
0: so while well, was yeah, keep talking about yeah uh i i just want to kind of summarize what so I, I find it fascinating I, it sounds like all of us are kind of, more or less kind of agreeing on this like um uh on the take on there so like for for my own take so i i think the Allen winger is a, a failure it's probably false i was kind of uh with joe marino i, I think the art history the vineyard markings are suggested mm-hmm. but it's interesting you know mark is saying it's a failure and and uh, Bob and Hugh is saying it's a failure and Bob's kind of not that much on it and stuff like that. So that's interesting. I'm kind of on the fence with it myself. The one thing that's very interesting for me that's kind of a shock is about the statistical thing, because I, I did think that that was kind of a, a good argument. But to hear Bob and, and Hugh both agreeing that, well, look, there's no um, basis for a statistical argument um, so, yeah, Hugh's got his screen up. So I have a I have a question for Bob and Hugh after Hugh finishes this um, about the probability. I just want to ask a question about that. But other than that, it sounds like we're all on the same page. So, yeah, we can move on to the Sudarium, the, the main topic for for everyone here. So,
3: OK, can we see the, the baptistry of Ravenna here? Yeah, Let me just it's up. got uh, it's, it's still there to this very day. There is the dome above the baptistry. There is John the Baptist baptizing Jesus and all the apostles in a ring round the outside. Now, according to Paul Vignon, Christ was put in before uh, anyone had seen the image of Edessa, which he takes as the um, the original for all the Vignon markings. He thinks that the image of Edessa was identified with the shroud. And so he starts with that. So he thinks that this was before the image of Edessa, which interestingly still shows Jesus with long hair and a beard, but it doesn't have any of his markings. But the apostles around the outside, according to Vignon, um, all show some markings. Um, I've, this is my translation uh, around here underneath at the bottom, but we don't need to go through that. But can you see that the middle two, especially St. James the Greater and St. Peter, have got those beautiful little squares. Now, what's interesting about Vignon is that he thinks that the squares are totally unrepresentative of anything you might see in real life here at last i may see on uh, i may say on the on the, uh, the right hand side we finally have jesus but he starts with all these other um apostles who have as you can see one nostril bigger than the other they have the stripe line across the front and and, uh, and and several others but he finds that the here are the two little uh, things. But he finds that oh, I must find this thing. He, he gets excited about the fact that no one could possibly have put the square in between anybody's brows uh, unless they had seen the Shroud of Turin, because they were totally anatomically unlikely. Well, as you can see, I have found a picture of someone with this extraordinarily anatomical, unlikely three cornered square right between his brows in exactly the place where the uh, catacombs got it. So I think Vignon got a bit carried away like, can you see, I'm going to just read out this little bit in italics here. The uh, supranasal square, he calls it, has a deliberate lack of anatomical significance. The blatant futility of what would seem to us to be a bizarre ornament if we didn't know that it shows one of the most significant of the accidents found on the shroud itself. Well, I could just think that Vignon must never have looked at people as he wandered through the streets of Paris. Lots of old people have got nearly everybody has got two vertical lines on either side of their nose. And quite a lot of people have got a wrinkle uh, between them at the bottom. So, yes, uh, I mean, we all sort of agree with each other, but um, I, I don't think the Vignon markings really exist. That's all I've got to say, really.
0: <laughs> OK, all right, cool. So, yeah, I think, um, again, we, we all agree. So I, I think. I'll just ask a couple questions for for people to give their take on if they want. So one thing, um, Hugh, yeah, Hugh Ferry. So I I noticed I read your paper and I'll be linking to that on my blog and stuff about the Vinian markings. And one thing that you kind of mentioned is that a lot of, some of these markings uh, are not unique to Jesus. They're also on apostles or other figures and stuff like that. So I kind of just wanted to ask uh, you and, and also the other panelists, Um, how many of the features, you know, there's that list of 15 features or whatever that some people have identified, and I get that some of us are are saying, well, we don't think there are those 15, but how many of the established ones um, can you find on other figures outside of Jesus? And uh, yeah, I'll throw that open to you and to also other people. Yeah, all, all, all of them.
3: Oh. i mean paul vignon illustrates illustrate he, well he wrote he they're his markings he wrote the book and he illustrates every single one with uh, uh, saints and uh, uh, and uh, clerics and even emperors which are who are not jesus as well as i mean oh, quite often he, he mentions jesus as well of course um but yes all of them occur on other images
0: okay uh, other panelists do you, what do you guys make of that question there
2: Um, I think Diana Fulbright um, did a paper on markings in Byzantine um, paintings and stuff. And I think she was of of the opinion that some of the so-called Vignon markings could be found on other, um, you know, uh, non-Jesus representations. Uh, I, I can't remember. I think it might have been in the Frascati conference. I'm not 100% sure, which I de- happened to discover that those papers used to be online. And I just discovered by chance the other day that uh, they took those papers down. I've got a print copy of the proceedings, but unfortunately, they, uh, they took down the online versions of them.
0: Gotcha. I, All right, cool. Oh,
1: was Sorry. That? Go ahead. I was going to say, Hugh, so you can see that just as Das has made a mistake, uh, so did Paul Vignon. He's mistaken. He totally believed it. He totally, I think he totally believed what he was writing. I don't think he was out to deliberately deceive anybody, but he was wrong. I mean, pro authenticity people can be just as wrong as anti authenticity people. Um, Time, science, and history, new discoveries tend to. Reappraise older findings and and i think the vignon markings are a victim of that of people looking into it and saying well actually it's not true awesome awesome all
0: right cool and last last (laughs) (laughs) thing so so this question i want to ask to bob before we move on to the to the sidarium kind of thing and so this was something that i i did find genuinely shocking today um was that all of you guys kind of are hesitant to accept the statistical argument. And I wanted to ask you, so it, when you mentioned that we can't establish just a proper statistical basis, and Hugh mentioned his experiment with the 400 coins, are, are we kind of saying, well, sure, Julio got this uh, probability of one out of a billion billion, or seven out of a billion billion, um, but that's not a saturated probability. It, it's not taking into account the various probabilistic resources or some like specificational or replicational like what, what exactly is the issue with the the probability calculation there uh yes well my, my opinion
4: here would would be that the, the the marking the similarity between the coins and what we see on the shroud is is suggestive that that uh, what's what we see on the coins had originally, the, it goes back to what was on the shroud. Uh, it seems to me like that there that there are enough similarities. There's a perfect frontal image, uh, large eyes, a lot, long nose, a mustache, beard, h- hair parted in the middle, coming down on both sides, little little bit longer on one side than the other. All, all those are similarities. Now, there's a tendency to go into too too much detail, w- which we I don't think we need to go there, but I think there's a general similarity here so so that the shroud did exist long prior to the carbon dating value of 1260 to 1390 uh, because of the paintings and and the coins, images on the coins containing these uh, similar characteristics. Now, once you say that, Uh, I'm not saying that it's impossible to do a statistical analysis to come up with a probability. It's just that uh, I've not studied Giulio Fonte's uh, chapter on that issue, Uh, but uh, I could not imagine myself how it could be done to come up with with an accurate value. That's all I'm saying. Now, it, it might prove that it's very unlikely, but to come up with a specific value i i think is another issue but since i haven't read the chapter i can't make a, a definitive conclusion on it but that's just my my take on it i i would in going into reading his chapter i would i would be somewhat skeptical going into it but i could be proven wrong
0: gotcha awesome yeah. very cool well <laughs> yeah with that said um i want to get into the final topic the main topic and um with this one i'm gonna butt out i'm not gonna give my opening case i'm actually gonna go over to mark to to give the opening case for this sudarium of oviedo what what is this about how is it linked to the shroud so yeah go ahead and give your opening case and take it away and um one thing do you want me to share do you have like a screen to share about the sudarium or do you want me to put up like a picture of it or
1: yeah yeah i've got i've got images to share on this um Beginning to begin with, uh, just a second.
4: Sure, well, right, okay.
1: If you just ask what is the Sudarium of Auvier, the simple answer in a photograph is that okay, uh, a dirty piece of cloth that's stained in some way, um Full of crease marks, no image. um, By itself, uh, a picture of it doesn't tell us anything at all. Okay. Um, It's made of linen, poorer quality linen than the shroud. Uh, The name Sudarium, I still call it the Sudarium in English. It's a Latin word that is related to the word. sudor which is sweat okay so some people call it a sweat cloth but if you go back to classical sources uh, sudarium has various different uses it's used in a roman poet Martial as a kind of towel that he took to the barber when he had his hair cut and had his beard trimmed to you know clean up afterwards um in petronius it's a cloth that a cook in a sweaty kitchen, hot, sweaty kitchen, had around his neck to wipe the sweat from his forehead. According to Suetonius, the emperor Nero used to cover his mouth with a sudarium uh, to protect his voice because he (laughs) he was a great singer. Um, So the uses are of a cloth that doesn't exist in the 21st century. Some people call it a handkerchief, a kerchief, head cloth there's no direct equivalent in the english language of everything that a suderium meant in the roman world okay which is why i prefer to just call it the sudarium, the latin word for it okay it's been in oviedo since oviedo is a city in the north of spain that's the cathedral okay in oviedo um obviously the cathedral that part of it is very recent uh, there's a part inside it which dates to the ninth century, OK, which is where the Sudarium is kept today. Um, it's been there ever since the city was founded in the eighth century. See, the big difference before I actually get into what these blood stains can show us is that whereas the history of the shroud is totally open to debate Um, as I say there is a shroud the burial shroud of Christ is mentioned in historical documents from the second century on Uh, there's no doubt that it existed Um, the debate there is is that shroud in those documents the one that is kept today in Turin in the north of Italy okay but there is no silence as some people would have us believe you know the shroud is never heard of before the 14th century not true um, may might not necessarily be the shroud of Turin. That's a different argument. But um, the shroud is not; it doesn't go through twelve hundred years of silence. Let's say, okay, it's there. Uh, on the other hand, the history of the Sudarium, which is my field as a historian, what I've researched in all the manuscripts, which I'll show in a few minutes, is fairly easy. At least in comparison to the shroud, to establish. In other words, we've got multiple, multiple attestation here. Manuscripts from that were copied in in what today is Belgium, uh, France, Spain. All kinds of different documents from different um, periods. That in their essential details tell the same story. Okay, that the sudarium was kept in um, Palestine. What palestine the name the name business is always difficult do we call places by today's names or the names they had then? it was uh kept near jerusalem until the sixth uh, the beginning of the seventh century when the persians invaded and conquered jerusalem and there was a mass exodus of christians um running away basically from the Persians, and they took with them their relics, among which was this Sudarium, no matter what it is or isn't in the end, okay? And it came over the Mediterranean into Spain, um, was kept in Toledo, which was the Visigothic capital. Same story again, 711, the Moors from the north of Africa invaded and conquered Spain. Christians fled north to escape the Muslims, and the cloth went with them, has been in the area ever since okay Um, when the city of Oviedo was founded as the capital uh, of Christian Spain um, that's where it's been ever since it's a fairly well established history Um, okay but what is the cloth if we get back to the cloth the first thing you can see it's stained with something okay Um, again this was analyzed in a laboratory. What do those stains consist of? They consist of one part human blood and six parts pleural edema fluid. Okay, pleural edema is when you die from asphyxiation or suffocation, your lungs fill with this liquid. Uh, pleural edema, well, an edema, you know what an edema is, plural, it just comes from the Latin word for the lungs. Okay um according to most uh, doctors who uh, apart from fred zugiver who have um studied the shroud that is a liquid that would have gathered in the lungs of somebody who was crucified okay so um immediately we could say okay it looks like these stains come from somebody who again crucified you see can we say crucified what you can say medically and scientifically is that these stains come from a dead body that, were, uh, that was dead in, a posi- in an upright position with the arms outstretched. Is that crucifixion? Could be. Compatible with crucifixion. But you cannot say scientifically that person was crucified. You can say he died in an upright position with both arms outstretched. OK, that's the difference between wishful thinking and, and what the science of this can tell us. So how were the stains made on this cloth? Um, there's no point going, I, I haven't really got time to go into all the details, but the one I want to find is, the one. the one I want to find is always the one that I can never find, OK? It doesn't matter which... Slide it is, but it's always the one that somehow escapes. Okay. (laughs) It's here somewhere. And if not, it'll be in the other one. (laughs) Now, well, okay. I'll I'll find it eventually. What it is was a forensic doctor from the University of Madrid and later on the University of Valencia, uh, whose credentials, there it is, don't need. Uh, presenting he's he died now Um, he's been dead for a few years he worked on various uh, national murder cases I mean he's a forensic doctor Uh, he decided right let's try and reproduce the stains that were made on this cloth so we got this model head and actually made this the the fluid you know one part blood human blood uh, six parts pleural edema fluid and with this flow system and the angle system reproduce the stains again this is something uh in order to be science something has to be you have to be able to reproduce it any number of times in a laboratory uh so that something will give you the same results every time that for example is where any kind of resurrection theory about the shroud falls through you can never prove it you're never going to be able to resurrect a body in a laboratory and say, this is science. This, um, that's, that's personal belief, okay, not science. Doesn't mean that they contradict each other. It just means that science cannot prove um, a resurrection, okay? Um, it can prove how stains were made on a cloth. And basically summarizing, the only way to get um, these stains was um, I've, I've actually done this live a few times on Barry Schwartz, okay, when we've coincided at congresses. I've got a replica of the of the Sudarium and I, I crucify Barry and I have, <laughs> have him standing there with his arms outstretched as he's got long hair and a beard. Yeah. Uh, he always then, making the joke, yeah. That's also a fact due, from right? the Sudarium. <laughs> Everybody always shouts out, crucify him, crucify him. <laughs> <laughs> but, we, but we never have done yet. <laughs> and The cloth was uh, put round the head until it came to the right arm. Okay. now. At this point, something made it impossible for the cloth to be put round the back of the head. So whoever put it on folded the cloth back over on itself. So that's why there are four different you know the blood then seeped through the cloth coming out of the nose and mouth and you've got four different sets of stains with a decreasing intensity obviously the most intense one is the one that was in direct contact with the face that produced these stains and as it as the liquid seeped through then the stains became less intense okay um the body that produced these stains was left in an upright position uh, with the arms outstretched, dead, because the stains are incompatible apparently with any kind of breathing movement, for between 45 minutes to one hour, okay? Um, The stains on the forehead, that would correspond to the forehead on the cloth, could only be made if the body in question was then lying face down on the floor on the ground okay at a slight angle so that the feet were slightly higher than the head therefore liquid coming out of the nose and mouth would by gravity not fall onto the ground but you know flow if you like very very slowly down the face onto the forehead okay and then um the third set of movements was that this body was then carried with somebody holding the cloth to, uh, to the nose and mouth of this dead body face down, it was carried face down. That is how the different stains uh, were produced. It's explained in great detail in all the rest of the slides. But again, like I say, you could be talking about this for five or six hours. Um, that is what the cloth reveals in itself, okay? Um, I'm not going to say anything because we just don't know who that body belonged to, whose body it was. We don't know. We know the positions it was in when the stains were formed, okay, and what the stains consist of. Up to there is something that can be and has been reproduced in the laboratory. And again, it doesn't matter what you believe, what you don't believe, up to there, you know, nobody said anything that says Christianity is true and and everything else is wrong. No, nobody said that. Um, These are just, that's how the stains were formed on the body. Now, can this be related to the shroud?
4: Um,
1: Apparently, it's the same blood group, AB, but there are uh, some people who say that any ancient Blood sample automatically degrades or converts into blood group AB. Um, I have no idea who is right and who is wrong about that because again, that's not the manuscript and it's outside my field of speciality. They are just—they're just the debates. The blood group coincides, and it's not—and um, it's not a common blood group. Now, the main part here is here's where I'm going to change to the other. um, No, the other part, no, just a second. One second and we'll just go back to the actual cloth itself. Now, the stains, uh, can you see my pointer, my marker Mm -hmm. on the screen? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. These are the ones where the cloth was, it was sort of folded around here on itself. The hole, by the way, was burnt by wax. That's from somebody holding a candle or incense over it and uh, if you look at it under a microscope it's actually got burn marks on that hole but the different set of stains are these ones over here okay this um you you can differentiate in a laboratory uh post-mortem blood which does flow there's this great myth that dead bodies don't bleed they do Um, If you cut them, it's just that the flow is a lot slower, obviously because there's no heart beating to make the blood circulate. But if you cut a recently dead body, it will bleed, okay? Just slowly. Um, These these stains over here uh, consist of lifeblood, blood blood that was shed in life, okay? Not post-mortem. And the way that the cloth was wrapped around the head This part here would correspond to the nape of the neck. Okay. Obviously, if that person had long hair, it wouldn't be against the skin, but against the, you know, this cloth would have been pinned to the hair. Okay. There are pinholes um, that somebody would have put pins made of bone, no doubt, as pins were in the Roman world, small pieces of bone to pin it to the hair, which was no doubt so matted with blood that it was like almost solid at that stage okay now um now if we change over to the other one that would correspond to these stains on the shroud of turin which are from the back of the head okay corresponding to that same area um if you look at that one Uh, the colours are irrelevant. That's just for the sake of of an overlay. Okay? Oh that, uh, Obviously the the blood stains on the shroud on the
0: So okay. sorry to interrupt, Mark. Are you yeah. showing like because that's not showing up? We're just seeing like the sudarium cloth. So
3: you probably gotta stop sharing the first one and then share the second one.
0: Yeah, because if you have something different up, we're not seeing it. The overlay, yeah. Um so just to a
1: certain extent, the shape of the of the blood does coincide again it's or the eternal it, debate you've got um like you know you've stuff. got people like alan adler it's uh a professional haematologist great expert in blood uh, looked at this saw the overlays and, and did everything and said that there is no way that these two cloths did not cover the same body um can other people will stuff? say well you know i can see stains here that don't correspond therefore they didn't cover the same body um there's no easy answer to that argument i think a lot of it as so often happens in the world of shroud of shroud studies is if you want to believe it you believe it and if you don't want to believe it you don't believe um very difficult to actually reach an objective empirical truth in all of these studies except for certain things like it's not a painter.
0: Okay. Do you, Mark, um, do you mind if you stop sharing? Because I, I yeah. really want the audience to see what you're talking about with the overlay thing. Like, do you mind stop sharing and then re-share like the the thing with the comparison? Was because I think that's really important for the audience. So you want me to stop sharing this? Stop sharing and then re and then click on share screen again and share the screen where you're talking about like the green and the you know the overlay type thing. You know what I mean?
3: we can only see that the shroud the the sudarium itself we can't see the overlay pattern oh you can't no why not
0: yeah that that's i'm on it is it on the same powerpoint that i
1: I, i've I've moved on to it and i'm sharing it so can you unshare the first one ah okay that's the one you can see yeah yeah uh, how do I unshare? Up, up at the top of the screen? Okay, yeah. Right. But no, I, I don't think I'm sharing anything now. That's so right. Now I have to go back to the other one. Yeah, yeah, so click on share again, and then make sure you okay. click on the right. There,
0: there. there we go.
1: Yeah. There it is. Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, and if I go back to that first one there, can you see that? The one yep. of the shroud? Of yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's the part of the shroud on the, on the dorsal image that corresponds to the back of the head. Okay. So these are the stains that we're looking at. That's the two of them side by side. When I was talking about the colors, that's just done for the sake of the comparison. Obviously, the stains on the shroud are not green. OK? Um, that's obvious. He's not a okay? uh, right? That's He's just changing. for the sake mm. of comparison. And the overlay looks like that, which convinces some people and doesn't convince others. OK? Um, as happens, like I say, with just about everything in shroud studies the coins the uh, wanger overlays happens with you know so many things um if it does if they did cover the same body then you're talking you know the suderium has a very well established history been in spain since the uh, 621 uh, early 7th century um and it's been in spain ever since and the shroud has never been in spain so if they did coincide on the same body it could only ever have been sometime before the sixth century uh, because there is a document from the sixth century that dates to 570 falsely attributed to a pilgrim called antoninus But it's actually anonymous, the document. We have no idea who wrote it. That's very common in the ancient world. Documents, I mean, it happens in the New Testament. You know, um, letters attributed to Paul that were not written by Paul. Um, Common Commonplace in the ancient world. Um, And we have this document from 570 explaining how the Sudarian was kept in a monastery next to the River Jordan near Jerusalem. Okay, so it has been dated back to 570. There's another document that is just so controversial by a guy called Nonus of Panopolis, okay, who wrote a paraphrase of John's Gospel. Some people say it was the third century, some people say it was the fourth, some people say it was the fifth, some people say it was the sixth. Basically, we don't know. Happens a lot with obscure writers, okay? We don't even know who Nonus of Panopolis was. And he describes the sudarium, which is mentioned in John's gospel, by the way, in the fourth gospel. Um, you know, the, the, uh, it does say that Jesus' body was covered first. The face was covered with a sudarium um, that was then taken off and the body was covered with a full body shroud. OK, so it is mentioned in the fourth gospel, not in the other three in the synoptic gospels. OK, but it is mentioned in the fourth. Um And he talks about the sudarium being tied in a knot at the top of the head. And actually, the crease marks in linen uh, do actually suggest that this cloth was tied in a knot at the top of the head. That's coincidence, not evidence. Um, Coincidence that points towards it being the same cloth, but cannot be taken as conclusive. Okay, so what I hope I've tried to do with this is um, explain what we do know definitely and how that could relate to the shroud okay um i always like to differentiate that science and history can take us to a certain point again my opinion and i reserve the right to be wrong and from that point on uh it can reaffirm your faith it can bring you to faith Um, or it might not do anything related to faith. I I love the situation, I was going to mention this before, that we had in the early uh, 20th century, where you had the Jesuit priest Thurston arguing in the Catholic Encyclopedia that the shroud was a fake uh, result of superstition and medieval beliefs and everything like that. And at the same time, we had Yves Delage, a confessed agnostic, in the French Academy, saying it was genuine, Um, which I just love. I love that situation. You've got your agnostic saying it's real. Why couldn't it? Why shouldn't it be? You don't have to be a Christian to acknowledge that the shroud uh, touched the body of Jesus of Nazareth. And then you have a Jesuit priest saying, no, it's all superstition. Hmm. I'm just going to turn the light on in this room because it's getting dark here.
0: No problem. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Well, that that's a great. Uh, thank you so much for your opening presentation. There, appreciate it. Um, there's a lot more I could say about it, but um, you said try and keep it to
1: within ten minutes, and that's what I've tried to do.
0: Awesome. All right. Cool. Yeah. And I, I want before I uh, go to the to the next panelist here, just one quick question for you, Mark, because I I had um, Dr. Caesar Barda on my show before talking about the Sudarium, and he mentioned something about how there's Half of a blood stain on the sudarium, and then the other half's on the shroud, and that's another way to link it. Are you familiar with? with so, that? I,
1: I I don't actually hear you very. Much. I know I have hearing problems, but uh, your your voice is actually very low for me. Oh, uh, so is that better? or? That's better. Yeah, even though
0: now I can't see you, but at least I can hear. No, problem sorry. So I was just asking you. I had um Caesar Barda on the show, and he mentioned that on the sudarium, there's half of a blood stain. And then on the shroud is the other half. So they can kind of link the two cloths that way. So I was just wondering, do you know uh, about that argument at all in terms of the the link? Half half the bloodstains, how do you mean? Um, so I, I, I can't remember. He was kind of saying like, oh, there's like a hole in the middle. It's like a donut or something. And then the course. Yeah, I mean, just for example, again,
1: that hole that I told you is definitely a burn hole. Um You know, because it's it's blackened edges. I I remember what it was.
0: Go ahead. Okay.
1: well, uh, Alan Wanger, uh, with his famous Polaroid overlay technique, uh, when he was in Oviedo, took a low quality photo of the cloth. And in something that he published on, it said that hole was a bloodstain when it's a hole, just because he was working from a low-quality photograph. That's how, it easy, that's how easy it is to make mistakes. Gotcha. I think Hugh, Hugh, knows,
3: Hugh knows what I'm talking about. I, I remember what um, uh, what César Bata was talking about. It was yeah. to do with a little spot, uh, which he thought was of blood, in the same position. the mouth. Yeah. Yes, as the forehead. He thought that the shroud shows a sort of more or less circular space with a with a with a clearer bit in the middle yeah. and that clearer bit was the bit that was actually on the sudarium and yeah. uh, he thought the two matched um yes I, i'm yes, I, I, I wasn't gonna be but, yeah, but it, that was what I, got. I haven't had time to, to go into absolutely everything
1: i mean i haven't even shown you any of the manuscripts um showing all of that but i mean can you see that one yeah mm-hmm. that's, that's one of them um that just shows the route if you look Um, It says, Ab Urbe Yerosolima, from the city of Jerusalem, they took it to Africa, from Africa to Carthage, Carthage in Spain, not um, Carthage of of Hannibal, okay, not in Africa, from Carthage to Toledo, from Toledo to Asturias, Asturias is the area in the north of Spain where Oviedo is, into the church of the Holy Saviour, Uh, sancti salvatoris um in the place which is called ovieda Ovetum. okay that's just one example of one of the manuscripts like i say the manuscripts are from different places different times and they all coincide they differ as well there are differences they're not copies of each other but the essential details are all the same which from a historical point of view means that it's most probably that's what happened Awesome. Again, and there's no problem admitting that. You don't have to be a believer. You don't have to be a Christian to accept that some people brought a cloth from Jerusalem to Spain, and it's been there since the 7th century. It doesn't say anything at all about the essential truth of Christianity. But sometimes the debate is reduced to you're a believer, you're not a believer. Therefore, everything's true or nothing is true. And it's not always like that. Okay. Um, what I've tried to explain about the Sudarium is what should be and could be accepted by anybody because it's reproducible in a laboratory. The manuscripts are there for anybody to see who can read Latin. Um, And again, that that in history is uh, an accepted principle. Multiple sources that agree on the essential truths most probably happened like that.
0: All right, cool. So I'm going to step in because I do want to make yep. sure our other panelists get to speak about the sudarium. So, uh, Bob, Bob, I'll start with you. Like, what, what's your take on the evidence from the sudarium?
4: Uh, I've always just accepted that the sudarium is a legitimate uh, burial cloth from Jesus that was put over his head after he died on the cross to collect yep. the uh, the blood that would would have been coming out of the nose and the mouth. Uh, and that it was left on on his body uh, while it was the body was being taken down from the cross and transported to the tomb. Yep. The body was laid a- onto half uh, of the body cloth, uh, and then the person actually at the front of the stand up or pit area in the tomb would have reached over and taken the the sudarium off the face and uh, just dropped it on onto the uh, side bench, uh, the kind of even where where his body was located yeah, uh, yeah. and so that becomes important actually in my work in the carbon dating uh of the shroud uh to actually have a, a good estimate as to where the sedarium was located actually in the tomb it's it's probability argument mm-hmm. yeah but but uh very so accurate, uh, very, I, very I, I
1: accurate t- take of how that
4: fits in with it yeah i'm sorry
1: That's a very accurate take of how uh that evidence that I presented fits in with the the story of the death of Jesus
4: of Nazareth. Uh, yeah, so that there's there's no image on the sudarium because nope. the sudarium had been taken off the body and laid aside. And then after that was taken off and laid aside, then, then the top side of the body cloth was laid across the body. Yeah. So th- it just seems to be consistent with the evidence that we see on the shroud and on the sedarium. Awesome. So, yeah, so I accept that both of them as being le- legitimate and authentic.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, cool. So Joe, uh, I want to turn it to you. What's, what's your take on the evidence from the sedarium there?
2: Um, I think based on the, the totality of the evidence and, you know, we got people in Spain studying it pretty much exclusively and you got people like, uh, you know, well, besides Mark, uh, you got uh, Jackson and Adler and even Rogers wrote about it. None of them discounted it. Um, I think the the evidence is very strong for the authenticity of the Sudarium. But I, w- I wanted to ask Mark uh, if he could just speak to the the carbon dating of the Sudarium and, and the dates that they got and his take on that.
1: Yeah, there was never a, I, okay, people argue about this. The cloth probably was dated, but the protocol wasn't followed. And there's no, uh, you know, and some people say, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. there's no hard evidence. It it wasn't done in the right way. That sounds familiar. Yeah, it sounds very (laughs) familiar. But having said that, it probably was carbon dated. And the results came out as 8th century, which, again, we're lucky enough to know that The Sudarium is documented back to the 6th century. So obviously something went wrong with that. Or it's 300, the dating was, you know, at least 300 years out, let's say, at least. Um, So so, So it it doesn't sort of coincide with, with its first historical mention by any means. Uh, historically, it existed before that, no matter what it is or it or what it isn't. You know, if somebody comes along and said, oh, well, you know, I think it was made in the fourth century. Well, I would say, well, as far as the documents go, um,
0: could be. Cool. yeah, not Bob, yet, But not eighth century. I see uh, Bob wants to contribute on that before we go to Hugh. So, yeah, go ahead, Bob.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So in, in my work on the nuclear analysis of the uh, sh- Shroud of Turin, That uh, the the question, you know, uh, my my concept for explaining the carbon dating of the corner of the shroud uh, is that uh, neutrons were emitted uh, from the body uh, and they flooded the tomb uh, bouncing around in the limestone, eventually coming back uh, after they've been thermalized, uh, slowed down uh, and, and then absorbed in nitrogen in the shroud of Turin. To produce new carbon-14, uh, which then can explain the, why the corner of the shroud dated to, uh, 1390 to uh, 12, 1260 to 1390. Yeah. And that concept explains the four different aspects of the carbon dating that need to be explained, and that, and uh, no other concept does. Uh, and that explains the date, the, the slope, and the x-direction and the length of the shroud. And, and in the y direction in, in, the, in, in the width of the shroud. Uh, and then I also recognize that it can explain uh, a dating of, of the Sudarium to uh, 700s or so uh, based upon the, the location of the Sudarium, a distance from the body cloth so that, it, uh, so that the neutron distribution in the tr- tomb fell off the further you would get from the body so that the Sudarium was placed a distance from the body so that there were, was less neutron absorption on the Sudarium to produce less carbon-14 on the Sudarium. So that it that's why it didn't date to the same as the Shroud of Turin, but it, it was only changed from 33 AD to about 700 AD because it was less new carbon-14 produced by neutron absorption on the Sudarium than on the Shroud of Turin. Mm-hmm. Some,
0: all right cool uh you uh over to you what what's your take on the sudarium evidence and <laughs> feel free to share your screen if you want
3: well um no i i' i' just make i'll repeat one comment of marks, but with reference to the uh shroud and 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 just ask one one forensic clarification so the repetition is that just as the shroud is mentioned dozens and dozens of times in history before thirteen fifty But we can't be sure that those mentions actually refer to the Shroud of Turin. Um, The fact that the uh, Sudarium is mentioned several times in history doesn't necessarily mean that it must refer to the Sudarium of Oviedo, in my opinion. I think that we can only really be absolutely certain that the uh, the Sudarium of Oviedo traces back to about 1025 when the a holy ark was opened would that be about 10, right 10 seventy-five. Ten, seventy-five. 1075 would you agree Again, with yeah, that but, but hugh even then you've got no
1: proof i don't think there's any proof like we like to have it today until photography was invented and films where you actually take a photograph of something and say right this was here at this time
3: That's, that's um, fair any, enough.
1: any object in history um archaeology look at the debates about it um manuscripts mentions mentions are as good as it gets for that time i understand your reticence and yes you could argue that i think i mean you'll be limited to um if if you're saying that uh, it's something that is later and not necessarily those ones it would have to be something made in asturias in Oviedo, because that cloth has been there since that time um well i, I think it probably it came, came from anything in history yeah. and people do people do you know i mean you take any account of anything in history mm-hmm. and somebody will you know there'll always be opposing viewpoints on it because now, we can we i don't have the yeah, kind of evidence. A, that we the, the, for,
3: to the, the, the forensic point you uh, is just something I'd, I'd like you to just clarify and yeah, that yeah. is that um you said that the blood definitely showed that it was um or the blood stains definitely showed that they came from a man who had died with his arms outstretched now, your diagram just had one arm, if I can remember correctly D- does it definitely prove that he had both arms outstretched? yes, or, yes. Or with one arm? um and the, and the head at an angle
1: of uh, uh, seventy degrees to one side, thirty degrees forward. that's how they are the re- uh, the results of how the stains were
3: reproduced in the laboratory. Well, they were reproduced with a single head. They didn't have arms. Yes. Yes. So, but so, what makes you think that the arms were outstretched? It doesn't make me think. I can only what, repeat what, makes what the, the forensic, forensic doctor said. Yeah.
1: Um, that's to do with the bloodings behind that. I really wouldn't know. Hmm. Um, like I say, oh, that's right. I just, it was just terrifying. I, you asked me about the manuscripts, and I can talk from here <laughs> till midnight if you want. The rest of it, I rely on what other people have said. I don't understand the workings of it. I just know the results of what they've done. That's what I say. I I don't. I mean, I can talk about what other people have said, but I don't know all the explanations Fair and the reasons enough. outside my own field.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Gotcha. Awesome. All right. Um. Well, one thing I just want to throw it open to the panel about like that link with the forensics and stuff. I know uh, that's not anyone's area of specialization, but um, one thing that Hughes kind of mentioned to me is, uh, you know, that blood stain where you have the overlay technique. Yeah. You know? Uh, Hughes kind of said, but if you look at the two blessings, it, it isn't in a precise match. It isn't an exact fit. But I think what you guys would say is there's a, a substantial fit where that's sufficient to say they must have covered the the same corpse. Is, is that true? Or yeah, and I, I agree. I think you can see it both
1: ways. Um, you know, some uh, hematologists have argued that they must the two clots must have covered the same body. And others will say that you don't. This is like in in the recent COVID crisis, at least in Spain. You know, uh, one day you see an interview with a doctor in the newspaper, a qualified doctor, saying that everybody should wear a mask everywhere, and the next day another equally qualified doctor says it's useless to wear a mask. Mm.
2: Um,
1: you know, who do you believe in the end? I can only emit an opinion about what I think is right or wrong when it comes to manuscripts and history. The rest of it, like I say, I am just giving the results of what other people have done research on.
0: Gotcha. Uh,
1: Cesar Bartha is not a forensic doctor either, by the way. Okay, okay. He's one of those people who, and I tell him this to his face, I'm not bitching about him. Um, He likes to think he's a historian, doctor, uh, physicist, chemist, uh, likes to think he's everything. OK, I I hope it's not false modesty, but um, I, I, you know, like, like Hugh's question now. I don't know. I don't know what makes the forensic doctor think that he did. Um, I suppose it's written down somewhere and I should learn it. But um, I've, I, I haven't actually seen that it's the same as I mean, the, the bloodstains also apparently uh, show how do we know it was a man? Because he had a beard. He also had long hair. God. You can apparently extract that information from it, too. Again, it's not surprising. Just because someone had a beard and long hair, uh, you know, you're know, you not saying any major truth about uh, Christianity or about anything. Lots of people have beards and long hair. Um, but again, so many people would then say, oh, you just want it to coincide with, with Jesus. And you're saying, no, I'm not saying that. Uh, some people do, certainly. Um, I'm not. I'm just saying that. You know, these experiments show that the person whose body this cloth was used on had a beard and long hair.
0: That's it. Gotcha. All right. Cool. And yeah, I want to get the other panel. Like what what's your kind of take? And actually, if um, if you want, want to stop sharing your screen, I can show you the the picture that Hugh sent me um, just so we can see. That's,
3: that's, that's my that's my screen share oh. uh, of um, using screen grabs from. Uh, uh, Cesar Barta's book. Yeah. Okay, so you're you're
0: gonna show you're gonna show your own thing. Okay, cool. So
3: that's all. That just to me, those don't come inside.
0: Yeah. Okay. Do you have? what well, do you have? Is cool. that it? Yep. Okay. Do you mind Sorry. stop sharing your screen? I just want to show. I'm delighted. Like yep. There we go.
1: Alright. Mm-hmm. So I, show- I can understand that, Hugh. I can I can really understand that um, that that reticence about that. Um,
0: it, it's not definite. To my mind. So, so, yeah, so you guys can see, like, um, th- this is what he, he's kind of saying. We'll see. They're, they're yeah. not precisely the same shape. But, um, yeah, would, would you guys, what would you guys say? Like, Bob and Joe and and, and Hugh, we've heard Mark's case. It, is this type thing sufficient enough to say, yeah, they probably covered the same corpse? Or mm. Yeah, like, well, Bob, we'll start with you. Or Joe. <laughs> so, Joe, what's your take? Um.
2: <laughs> They're somewhat similar, but uh, not exactly
0: okay and is it similar enough in your view or
2: um, to be honest, I'm not sure
0: okay, Uh Bob uh, yes, taking into account
4: that uh, you know the, this would be slightly different look I mean different clause that we're talking about, uh, I think there's a reasonably good correlation between the two.
0: And and Hugh, anything you wanted to say about that, or you've already said it? Uh, uh, No, 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 nothing much.
3: Just I would say that one should always consider the bits which don't coincide as well as the bits which do. I think this was where Alan Wanger got things wrong, where there's sort of however many you look up, 135 or 46 or 27, whenever he was, he, he compared things and he got these points of coincidence, but he sort of forgot all the points which didn't coincide. And I think that's quite important. Gotcha.
0: All right, cool. So, yeah, I think I'll, I'll leave it open. Does anyone want to uh, ask questions or, or engage with someone about the Sudarium or do you think you cover it at all? Or uh,
4: The one question I would have uh, would be for Mark. And I was just wondering, is there someplace on YouTube where we could uh, look at your entire presentation on this? Probably not on Internet, but um,
1: if you let's see, Dale sent me an email, um, and I suppose you were copied in on it. I can send the presentation to you. Uh, some of the slides are only in Spanish. I can send it to you by Dropbox or WeTransfer or something like that. Yeah, so that would be very nice. Yeah,
2: I would like a copy of that too, please. Okay, sure. Yeah,
3: me too. Okay. Some of your blood overlays I hadn't seen before. I could just see them down the side, and I thought, oh, that'd be really interesting. <laughs> Would, yeah. Would, yeah. I,
1: I'll, I'll send that by uh we transfer to everybody
0: sometime okay. soon okay. and let me ask would you mind is that a private thing or could i put post that on the blog there are slides on the blogs for, um it's up to you not the one that has the text in spanish because i
1: don't have the copyright to that okay Okay, Uh, that's the Spanish Center for Sindenology. I do have a second presentation, which is mainly based on the manuscripts uh, where I took all the photographs and and do have permission to to share that one. Awesome. I can send you both of them and tell you which one you can use publicly. I mean, by when I say publicly, by publishing it on Internet and which one you know is for private use or in a you know a private presentation or whatever but not for
0: publication awesome cool yeah so so look out for that i'll also be posting up some links you know mark's books uh he has a about a 40 minute presentation um over in the uk presenting to the Ahmadiyya muslims where he gives a the full pr- more of yeah, a- I, I i i went there once I, I he invited me um
1: and i was i presented the sudarium of ovier the at the amadia muslim congress uh near london must have been what two thousand and seven. it was before before lockdown 2017 2018 something
0: like that yeah yeah so that that was a good presentation there with the visuals so all right cool so yeah with that said if if everyone's good to go i just want to say thank you guys so much for for coming on and giving these detailed presentations about these topics um I found it informative again I, I this is the point of the panels i'm learning uh some new things and stuff like that and updating based on what the experts have to say so uh yeah thanks uh, thanks everyone for for coming on no yeah, been mm-hmm. a pleasure Anytime you you i'll be back
3: mm-hmm. Good Good to you all. thank Good
0: you all to for the skeptic again <laughs> yeah well you you are i will have to say hugh you are invaluable as the shroud skeptic because a lot of. Uh, Hugh, I it, it's essential to have,
1: um, in any debate, it's essential to have both sides of the argument presented. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're just preaching mm-hmm. to the converted, and, um, and which can say, be interesting for some people, but it's too easy. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I, I will say, I, I do give Hugh credit for that, for that, because I've tried with other Shrad skeptics, you know, the, the pro Shrad guys, they're willing to step up to the plate and Share stuff, but you know I've tried with multiple shroud skeptics. He's the only one who's been willing to debate and and you know come on. so yeah, um, great. So with that said, uh, that should be it for for just so the audience knows what I have coming up next week. Um, so I'm going to be having Travis Lee uh, Worth and Omar Fakuri back on. So Omar was the former Hindu who is actually convinced by the shroud evidence in some of our shroud shows. So he's got an interest in Christianity, but. He, we're going to be talking specifically about his problems with the book of genesis you know the creation versus evolution debate and the flood um so you know travis is an expert from the reasons to believe with dr hugh ross and dr fuzz rana so we're going to be debating that but on that uh, have a great week okay great you too thanks nice Dale. to see you everyone
2: okay nice to see everybody